Hello, everyone. I'm Gary Urbanowitz, your host for this Throwback FDNY podcast. Remember, you can listen to all of the past episodes of Throwback FDNY by going to the website of the New York City Fire Museum at nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny and choosing the platform you use for listening to podcasts. Each show has three segments going back in time about the FDNY and its history. Now, let's start this month's show. In this episode of Throwback FDNY, in 1863, the Colored Orphans Asylum is burned during the Civil War draft riots in New York. In 1898, trailblazing African Americans make inroads into the FDNY. And in 1966, Augustus Beekman becomes the first black firefighter to attain the rank of assistant chief. With the war between North and South raging, the federal government enacted a lottery system to draft men into the Union Army. The law made it possible for those chosen to hire a substitute. With lower and working class men unable to avoid service, their reaction was to protest. That protest began at the Provost Marshal's office at East 43rd Street and 3rd Avenue, where the lottery was being drawn. From there, the protest turned into a riot, growing from 500 to a mob of over 1,000. It has long been conjectured that New York firefighters may have played a role in the riot, not only allowing buildings to burn, but also to loot them while they did. The 2002 movie, Gangs of New York, portrayed this in a graphic way. But Professor Glenn Corbett, a respected and accomplished fire historian, has researched that theory extensively and has unquestionably disproved it. One of the buildings set ablaze was the Colored Orphans Asylum on Fifth Avenue between 42nd and 43rd Streets. Many targets of the riots were black individuals who were not included in the draft because they were not given citizenship. Approximately 233 children resided in the facility at the time, and the rioters showed no mercy to the youngsters. Fortunately, all of them were able to escape unharmed. Chief John Decker was unsuccessful when confronting the mob looting the asylum. He arrived shortly after the orphanage was set on fire. Decker and his men made several attempts to break through the rioters to fight the flames. The rioters far outnumbered the firefighters and turned them back. A second attempt was made to gain entry in three different parts of the building simultaneously, which succeeded in confusing the rioters. The mob became angered at Decker for his repeated attempts to interfere and threatened his life if he tried to put out the fire. With this, Decker went up to the steps of the building and spoke to the rioters, saying, quote, It would be disgraceful to humanity and to the city of New York to destroy a building whose only purpose was benevolence and which had for its object nothing but good. End quote. Historic events such as the draft riots are often a paradox of malevolence and bravery. Hello, this is Patty Murphy, the Executive Director of the New York City Fire Museum. On behalf of the Museum Board of Trustees, I am proud to announce that our special exhibit, Colonial Firefighting and the American Revolution, will be made part of our permanent museum collection in March 2024. 
The exhibit uses engaging multimedia narratives, informative illustrations, and one-of-a-kind artifacts and reconstructions to share the untold story of a group of volunteers, the colonial FDNY, that stood between New York and disaster during years of rampant arson, wars for North America, and the American Revolution. Again, the exhibit will become part of our permanent collection in March 2024. Plan your visit today by going to nycfiremuseum.org. Shortly before consolidation with the FDNY in 1898, the Brooklyn Fire Department hired one African-American to be a firefighter. His name was William Henry Nicholson. In order for firefighters from Brooklyn and Long Island City to become part of the FDNY after consolidation, they had to take an examination and be approved by the commissioner, John J. Scannell. When Scannell approved Nicholson's appointment, it was announced in the newspapers of the time, making note of his race. Initially, Nicholson was assigned to Engine Company 6, today's Engine 206. Nicholson was later transferred to non-firefighting posts at the Veterinary Hospital and with the Fire Marshal's Office. Nicholson developed a cardiac condition, which led to approval of his disability retirement on December 5, 1911, on a pension of $700 a year. His retirement began on January 1, 1912, and unfortunately, he passed away just a few days later on January 21st. The second African-American to be hired by the FDNY was Jacob C. Fulcher. He was appointed on November 14, 1902, and was assigned to Hook and Ladder 61 in Brooklyn, the current ladder company, 111. Born in New Bern, North Carolina, he came to New York with his family in 1895 when he was 18 years old. Both of his parents were freed slaves. He decided to pursue a job with one of the city's services, taking both the FDNY and NYPD examinations. He was among the top scorers in both. A call from the FDNY came first, and he enthusiastically accepted the appointment. He spent time with the same company as Nicholson, Engine 106 at the time, again, the present engine company 206. Also, like Nicholson, he was later relegated to a non-firefighting detail in the repair shops. Sadly, his tenure with the FDNY was brief. Fireman 3rd grade, Jacob C. Fulcher, passed away from pneumonia on May 4, 1904. For this reason, he is often overlooked in history books. On September 21, 1914, an appointment was made that captured the attention of the press. John Henry Woodson was identified as the first African-American to be made a firefighter in New York City. By then, Nicholson and Fulcher had died, leaving no black firefighters in the department, not to mention that Nicholson was likely seen as a Brooklyn fireman and Fulcher's career was extraordinarily brief. So Woodson was put in the spotlight, and as such, more is known about him than the other early African-American members. Mr. Woodson was born in Farmville, Prince Edward County, Virginia. The name Woodson is ubiquitous to Virginia. One particularly famous Woodson was Thomas, the first child procreated by Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings. Jefferson's Monticello is 60 miles from Farmville. It is not known if there is a connection between John Henry Woodson and the Jefferson Woodsons. Even today, there are many Woodsons still in the Farmville area. John his sister Alice and their mother came to New York City shortly before 1900. 
when Chief of Department John Kenlin called attention to Woodson's name and race to Commissioner Robert Adamson, Adamson noted he saw no reason not to hire a person of color. Lost to the annals of history is one fact that makes his decision all the more poignant. The commissioner's full name was Robert E. Lee Adamson. His father, a dedicated Confederate soldier during the Civil War, named his son after the Confederate general. His rich Southern ancestry is juxtaposed to Anderson's views and actions with regard to assisting and promoting African-American culture and individuals. While city editor of the Atlanta Constitution, he began a Negro column, much to the dissatisfaction of the newspaper's white subscribers. It was Adamson, along with J. Garland Penn, who engaged Booker T. Washington to be the keynote speaker at the Cotton States and International Exposition in 1895 the speech that led to the historic Atlanta Compromise, a watershed moment, albeit biased, in race relations. The Adamson paradox may have contributed to the amount of attention that Woodson garnered in the press. On September 21, 1914, Special Order 164 noted the appointment of ununiformed firemen, the term for probationary firefighters at the time, John H. Woodson to Hook and Ladder Company 106, it didn't take long for Fireman First Grade Woodson to show his tenacity. Two years, almost to the day of his appointment, he made a dramatic rescue of Mrs. Catherine Metaridi and her son Michael from a two-alarm fire at 106 DuPont Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. For this, he received a Class Three citation. In 1918, he received a Class B citation, but details about the act could not be located. In 1929, Whitson was voted the most popular fireman in Jamaica and went on to compete for the title Most Popular Fireman in Queens. Fireman Woodson retired on February 1, 1936, after 21 and one-half years of service. In his retirement, John kept busy. He held various jobs. Perhaps the most notable was when he was hired by retired FDNY Assistant Chief Thomas Dougherty to be part of the New York World's Fair Fire Department. John Woodson was one of 65 fire guards hired by the fair. He was the ninth man and the only African-American to be hired to the post. A year later, he was promoted to lieutenant. On January 15, 1951, John Henry Woodson passed away at the age of 64. It was five years into Woodson's career with the FDNY that Wesley Williams was appointed in 1919. In a workforce of 5,321, a sole black firefighter, even one who had been cited twice for valor, was virtually invisible. So it was Woodson who reached out to Williams to make his presence known and to apprise him of what to expect. Of course, from that point, Williams made quite a name for himself and became the first African-American to attain the rank of battalion chief. His legacy includes being the founder of the FDNY Vulcan Society. The Vulcan Society is the fraternal organization open to black firefighters, EMS personnel, fire inspectors, and civilian personnel of the FDNY. In the month that we remember the contributions of African Americans in so many roles throughout American history, the New York City Fire Museum is pleased to help preserve this history. A photograph of Chief Williams, then a fireman in Engine 55, is on permanent display in our first floor gallery. 
Hi, this is Patty Murphy from the New York City Fire Museum. Don't miss two unique opportunities to delve into history and explore our museum's newest permanent exhibit titled Colonial Firefighting and the American Revolution. Join us on the evening of March 7th, 2024 for a curated tour of our newly updated Colonial Firefighting Wing, followed by an exclusive session with renowned scholar and author Benjamin Karp. Professor Karp will be sharing insights and knowledge on his book, The Great New York Fire of 1776, and this pivotal historic event. As a token of appreciation, attendees will receive a complimentary color booklet. Then mark your calendars for reopening day. On March 13, 2024, join exhibit creator Bruce Twickler, Herculean Mulligans, and Sons of the American Revolution, who will be at the museum to provide visitors with a living history presentation and exciting giveaways throughout the day. These events are sure to be highlights for history enthusiasts and anyone interested in the rich heritage of firefighting. For more information, please visit nycfiremuseum.org. Augustus Beekman, known as Gus, didn't have an easy start in life. Born in Harlem, his parents separated. At the age of five, his single mother placed him and his sister in the care of the New York Foundling Home, then in foster care, and finally moving him to Little Flower Children's Services in Wading River, Long Island. He spent his youth there, but returned home to his mother in the Bronx so he could attend Morris High School. While there, he was a member of the track team and became an outstanding runner. Upon graduation, he enlisted in the U.S. Army and served as a sergeant in Europe throughout World War II. Commissioner Beekman began his career as a firefighter on January 1, 1947, in Engine Company 58, at the time the busiest company in the FDNY. He was promoted to lieutenant in 1954, to captain in 1957, and went to gold as battalion chief in 1963, then becoming a deputy chief three years later. He took over the Community Relations Bureau as Deputy Assistant Chief. And in another three years' time, he was promoted to Assistant Chief, the first black firefighter to hold that rank, becoming chief in charge of the Division of Fire Control before moving over to the Division of Training. Assistant Chief Beekman was selected by Mayor Edward Koch to be Fire Commissioner on January 1, 1978. No stranger to the most difficult period in department history, known commonly as the War Years, he oversaw major changes to combat ongoing arson and false alarms. He worked to reopen previously shuttered fire companies like his own alma mater of Engine 294 in Richmond Hill. During his tenure, a controversial program of limiting response to voice-activated alarm boxes when nobody responded to the dispatcher's call for information was instituted. This one move lowered the strain on and risk to firefighters while conserving valuable resources. It was also during this time that the department was struggling with the historic move of appointing women to the ranks of firefighters. Although females were allowed to take the exam the year before Beekman was made commissioner, it was during his first year that all the female candidates failed the physical qualifying exam. He had to courageously and diplomatically sort through the challenges, which resulted in a lawsuit brought by the women after his retirement. As we all know, the resolution was finally realized in 1982, with the first female firefighters being appointed. The mayor and the commissioner were at odds in 1980, so after serving the people of the city of New York for 33 years, Gus Beekman decided to retire. Upon his retirement, Mr. Beekman moved to Toms River, New Jersey, where he spent the rest of his life. 
But we can't limit our discussion of an outstanding individual like Commissioner Beekman to simply his career with the FDNY. He was an amazing person who overcame odds, broke stereotypes, and succeeded in just about everything he did. While he was in the field as an active firefighter at various ranks, he graduated Phi Beta Kappa from City College of the City University of New York with a bachelor's degree in history, and he received a master's degree in political science from Queens College. Later, in recognition of his outstanding contributions, he was awarded an honorary doctoral degree from St. John's University. Augustus Speakman was also secretary of the Catholic Child Care Society of Brooklyn and chaired Little Flower's Save a Life adoptive campaign for black children. Fifty years after leaving Little Flower, he was elected president of its board of directors. But his commitment ran deeper than that. He and his wife Muriel were adoptive parents themselves. Although a name from a generation ago, Augustus Speakman exemplified a life of service to his fellow citizens and most of all the children. It behooves us all to keep him in mind and to look up to him for the example he set. And now it's time for our Throwback FDNY Trivia segment. In each new episode of our podcast, we like to test your knowledge of the department by asking a question about a fact from our previous show. Here's this month's. Who was the first chief of the newly formed Marine Battalion in 1905? The answer can be found in our last episode. And remember, you can listen to that and all of our previous episodes by going to nycfiremuseum.org slash throwbackfdny. The Throwback FDNY podcast is brought to you by the New York City Fire Museum, the official museum of the FDNY, with help from the FDNY and the FDNY Foundation, the official philanthropic organization of the department. I'm Gary Urbanowitz. I'll leave you with this life-saving message. We continue to see devastating fires caused by defective or mishandled lithium-ion batteries. The FDNY is urging the public to examine their micro-mobility devices and batteries for damage, to see if they are certified by approved testing laboratories, such as Underwriters Laboratory, and conduct other safety checks. For more information on lithium-ion battery safety, visit the website of fdnypro.org. We could all do our part to be a partner with the fire department by promoting fire safety. Until next time, thank you and stay safe.